you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, uh, just open it up. I got everybody look at me. Genesis chapter 1, the first page in the actual Bible text. Let's start there uh, this, this evening, all right? Genesis chapter 1. Um, now, we are going to, uh, I'm going to kind of drag you through the Bible, kind of front to back. We're going to go to Genesis, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read the first few verses. We'll go to the Lord together in prayer. We're going to pray for our service, and we're going to pray for, for that little baby uh, and his family. And then uh, we're just going to go on as God leads us. But uh, the way that I think God's going to direct us is we're going to go from there to John chapter 3, and from there to Hebrews, and on to 1 Thessalonians, I believe. So anyways, uh, surely you found the first page of the text of your Bible here uh, this, uh, this evening. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the <coughs> midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And God divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Let's just, let's, let's just go ahead and stop right there. And let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you here this, uh, this evening, thanking you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here uh, this evening. Thanking you, Lord, for your word as we have been reading it here this evening. Lord, thanking you for the many blessings that you poured out on us, Lord, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. But thanking you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. We thank you, Lord, for uh, all of these things, Lord. And my prayer is that we wouldn't take it for granted. We are such a blessed people. We are blessed to live in the time that we live in. We're blessed to live in the nation that we live in. Uh, we are blessed... Uh, uh, beyond measure and so lord i just pray as we go forward here tonight god that we would just give you praise and glory we would just thank you uh, for the many blessings that you've poured out on us and lord my prayer tonight for this service is that you would just have your way and your will in a mighty way god i pray that you would uh, uh lord that you would loose my tongue so that i might be able to preach your word pray, Lord, that you'd fill me full of your spirit, but not just me. I pray, Lord, that your holy presence would just be felt here in the preaching service in a mighty way. I pray, Lord, that you would move upon the hearts of each one of us here tonight 
God, I pray that we would be open and receptive to, to you and to your moving here tonight. I pray that we'd have ears to hear what you would say by your spirit to us and eyes to see, Lord, here in your word, what it is that you would reveal to us tonight. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. And God, that we would leave here tonight, Lord, uh, desiring to do your will, desiring to walk with you, desiring to spread your message, your good news to a lost and dying world. And Lord, if there's any of us here this morning that have, or this evening that have strayed away, fallen away, or just not where they ought to be with you, or maybe they've never even known you, God, I pray that today would be the day they'd get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. So God, have your way and your will in our midst, and we'll give you all the glory. We love you, we worship you, and we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Um, you know what? I wanted to read day three too, and I didn't. I should have done that. Let's let's read just a couple more verses. Verse nine says, "And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear.' And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called He seas. And God saw that it was good." And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and tree <clears throat> yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after this kind. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the third day. Um, have you ever heard that phrase? Or maybe, nah, that's not how I want to start this. Has anyone ever said to you, or you said... To your children or grandchildren, probably. Because I said... <laughs> I can remember... I, w I, I was a kid that was absolutely full of questions. I just was. I was inquisitive. I was full of questions. I wasn't rebellious... I mean, I had a little bit of a temper. I'd get mad sometimes. Um, but, I, but overall, I wasn't rebellious, and I wasn't just, you know, set to do things my own way. I, I didn't have a pro Usually, I didn't have a problem with doing whatever it was that, you know, I was told to do or whatever fact I was told or whatever it was. But I wanted to know why. And I was always asking why. And my father, you know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, patience is something I've lacked. Patience is something he lacked also. And his favorite answer was, because I said so. Because I said so. It didn't take me long to learn that was enough. That was enough because if you pushed any farther than that, Dad was fixing to get real serious and I wasn't interested in any of that. My children, right? The years growing up, they sometimes would question and ask why. 
And the amazing thing, I hate it when I was a kid that answer because I said so. I find myself, I find myself saying, because I said so, you know. And usually, I was usually at that point when I'm saying because I said so, I'm right on the edge. Right? Either one of my children want to amen to that? <laughs> because they were, they, if they'd pushed me much farther, they were fixing to see uh, um, probably an unholy rant. I was getting ready to come. I mean, I just, I don't know, boy, but I'll tell you what, patience is something I've struggled with, and uh, so especially in my adult life. But anyways, because I said so. Now, if I was maybe in a lighter mood and it wasn't so serious and I wanted to uh, play with them a little bit or whatever. Sometimes I'd like to, especially the, in later years, I'd like to throw out there and tell them because I am the uh, paterfamilias. And Abby, by then, she's probably a teenager and she'd just roll her eyes or whatever and go on, you know. Jake, he actually accused me of speaking in tongues one time whenever I said that. Pretty sure it was Jake. I don't think it was Abby. One of them did. It's a Latin phrase. It just means head of household, right? Senior adult. It's the, the father or whatever. And so anyways, I'd probably heard it somewhere and thought it was funny or whatever. But anyways, because I said so. Did you notice, and I didn't keep going. I could read the whole chapter. I marked them up here, so I'll kind of point it out to you. Do you notice in this first chapter of Genesis, there's some phrases that reoccur over and over and over. And God said. That happens nine times, right? Where in God said, and it is a creative act that he is he's speaking something in existence. There's actually a tenth time uh, in verse uh, 28 where it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them. But God is speaking directly, right, to the, to the creation, right? He created the male and female. That's who he's speaking directly to all the rest of the time, right? Nine other times, right? And God said, um, I can't give you the answers to why some of these phrases are repeated as many times as they are, uh, but it's interesting, and I'll just point a few things out to you, and then I'll make my point. God said nine times, right? Six days of creation, and nine times in those six days, and God said, right? There's at least, and God said, one time for each day. Right, uh, one, one time on day one, one time on day two, twice on day three, and God said, right, once on day four, once on day five, and then on day six, three times, and God said. Some other things that also, and, and I tried to emphasize them as I read here tonight. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. After the creative act has happened, God looks on it, and, God, and it says, And God saw that it was good. Also, one, two, three, four, five, six times, you see the phrase, And it was so. You can almost pair them up, like on day two, right, begins in verse six with, And God said, and then at the end of verse seven, it says, The last Four words, and it was so. You can see this happen over and over. 
right? You, you see, the, the pattern is not perfect. If it was perfect, we'd have one of each for every day, and, the, and it's not. And there's a few times, like, why doesn't God ever say that it's good on day two? I, have, I, I don't have any idea. But we can see this basic pattern over and over through the days of creation that God said, and it happened, it was so, and God saw it, and God said that it was good. I always like to point out, it has nothing to do with my sermon, but in verse 31 of chapter 1, God saw everything that he made, right? So we have a looking back on all six days of creation. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. He doesn't just say good, he says very good. God is looking back on a perfect creation, right? We know that, that we get to chapter 2 and we've got details about the creation of the Garden of Eden and the creation of Adam and Eve. At chapter 3, we've got the fall of man. We've got sin enters into the, per, into the uh, picture and what God looked back on that was very good is no longer very good, right? Well, in comes sin and with sin comes death, decay, and destruction. We look out into, into a world today and, and we look at a world that is literally broken by sin. It is no longer the perfect creation that God created. Now there is coming a point in a time, right? You can read about the end of the books, right? It talks about a new heaven and a new earth, right? And you see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, right? And we have a perfect creation. So God is going to restore things back to what he created to begin with. But from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 22, we live in a world that is broken by sin. Now, as I look at this, and I've mentioned already that six times God said, and then it was so. You know what that tells me? That tells me when God says something, it happened. When God says something, it happened. Uh, you know, as I begin, listen, this sermon tonight, I hope it's encouraging. I pray that God does with it just exactly what he intended to do with it. And I look at it and I think some things, I think maybe what, you know, but I guess the truth is I really don't know. Honestly, a sermon like this is kind of hard for me. I, I preached this morning from Lamentations and Jeremiah is a prophet. Jeremiah is a weeping prophet, but he's also a prophet of doom. There's others, right? You go through the Old Testament that could be considered prophets of doom. Honestly, I feel like I'd make a good prophet of doom. I, I, I would. Boy, that's just right in my wheelhouse. Unfortunately, prophets of doom don't make very good pastors, you know. And so anyway, he's a, uh, in, in all seriousness now, uh, I guess I'm just talking to you for a second. I have different people that hear me preach out at revivals and things like that. And, and once in a while, I'll get the comment that, boy, I really like it. I wish you'd preach like that all the time. Well, listen, evangelists are fun go and listen to, but usually they just kind of blow in, blow up, and blow out, you know. Uh, it's different from what a pastor, and honestly, whenever a person preaches, right, if they're really following the Spirit under the anointing of God, I got less, you know, I got, 
Not near as much control over what's happening than probably what you think uh, might be the case. I mean, God moves in whatever ways God wants to move. And sometimes it is in a, uh, it's in a dramatic way, and sometimes it's in a small, still voice, right? Sometimes God will speak to your heart things that I'm not even realizing. And here's something that I've noticed also over my years of preaching. Uh, boy, I tell you what, I'm just saying it all tonight. Sometimes, this is what I've noticed sometimes over my years of preaching is there is times that God will speak through the message to you and you'll hear something that I had no idea. Uh, there has been several times, right, that somebody has said something to me afterwards and I'm, that's great. I'm glad that you know, God give them that, and that's obviously what they need to hear from the message. But that wasn't my thought or intention. You know? That wasn't what was in my mind. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works and moves. Tonight, I just want to simply tell you, I believe it because God said so. I mean, that's really... We can get down into all kinds of different arguments, right? Man, people like to like to debate uh, creation, right? And, and, and we like to, and I started out on this too. We like to try to put uh, evolution together with uh, with God, with some sort of biblical creation, and and we like to come up with all kinds of different theories, and and and, and some like to put a gap between um, Genesis chapter one, verse one, and and verse two. You know, you might hear that sometimes referred to as the gap theory. You hear all kinds of things trying where people are trying to explain and put all kinds of dates and age and years right inserted into the Bible somewhere people try to reason out different things and they'll say well how do we have this and how do we have that and I've got my thoughts I've got my ideas I got what I think and in my mind it fits perfectly together but really you know what it boils down to you know why I believe it because God said so period because God said so. I believe the word of God, every last word of it, right? Every syllable, I believe it. I don't understand it all. There are some things that I have trouble fitting together in my own mind. But you know why I believe it? Because God said it. God said so. Period. I mean, really, when it comes right down to it, listen, going back to when I was a kid in my house, when Dad said so, that's it. Susie said it. That's it. End of discussion, right? That, it was, listen, I don't mean to blaspheme in any way, so don't take this wrong, but in a sense, it was gospel. Dad said it. That's the way it was, right? In that sense. Our Heavenly Father, I believe it because He said so. Now, I look at this, and I want to use this Genesis chapter 1 as a launching pad because we see over and over, I think six times in there, we see the combination of God said, and it was so. Now, I had mentioned to you uh, that I wanted to use that, and I wanted to look at a few other places that I think that we ought to, that we ought to at least take note of and keep in mind. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, this is one that, that Colvin likes to uh, quote. This is one of his memory verses that he uses, right? This is one that so many of us l learn at a young age. But it, John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That one word, so, has just kind of captivated me for this message. God so loved the world. So loved. God extended his love 
to the world, right? God expressed his love by giving his only begotten son. Have you ever really thought about that before? What an expression that is of God's love. He gave his only begotten son. He gave, I mean, can you imagine giving your child for somebody else? And here God gave his unique, special, one-of-a-kind, only begotten son, right? And he gave it not for somebody who he thought was a really, really good person. He didn't give it for somebody who he thought, man, this person can, will do a lot of good in the world and make a lot of people's lives better. He didn't give it for somebody who was, who, who was perfect morally. He gave it to somebody who gave his only begotten son's life for somebody who was his enemy. Someone who was rebelling against him. Somebody who was literally thumbing their nose at, the, at him and spitting in the face, metaphorically anyway, spitting in the face of God. He gave his only begotten son for you and I. That's the person I'm talking about. And he gave his son for us while we, while we still, when we didn't even know him, when we were still in sin, when we were still rebelling against God. The Bible says, and whosoever believeth in him, right? Whoever believes in him can expect to experience his love in an eternal, everlasting life. This is a fact. You can count on that because God said so. You don't have to worry about God stopping loving you. That's not how this relationship works, right? That, that's something that I had to wrestle with and get kind of tangled up with in my own life sometimes is I think because I've done something, maybe I've done something I shouldn't do or done something stupid or something like that, that God stopped loving me. That's not the case at all, right? That's not how the relationship works. That's not, how things, that's not how things work at all. Now, you might, right, or I might remove ourselves from God, right? We might separate ourselves from God, uh, but God doesn't stop loving us. Listen, that doesn't even make any sense when you really start thinking about it because when we were still in our sins, when we were still rebelling against God, when we were still denying His very existence, God gave. He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son for us, and God still loves us. Now... Can you turn and walk away from God and be ever be eternally lost? Absolutely you can. And sadly, many have done that very thing. Right? They've got a, they've got a word for that. It's called apostate. And there is many that have done that. But listen, God is not going to stop loving you. He's not going to stop loving me. You have no reason to be concerned Right, that maybe one day God is going to set you aside like a toy the child has grown tired of. Right? I think Satan, on some of us, Satan works on us that way, works in our mind that way, and he tries to he tries to get us to to feel like that and think like that. That like just like a, a child that loves and is fascinated with a new toy and then grows tired of it and sets it aside one day. Right? I think there's people that worry that that's what God will do. That's not the case at all. You can rest assured that you, as a Christian, will always experience God's love. 
Why? Because God said so. Because God said so. Uh, listen, buddy, that's enough. Right there, that's enough because God said so. Uh, let me, let, let, let's throw another one out here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. I love this verse. It says, how shall we escape? Uh, here comes that prophet of doom part, all right? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which of the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. We have a great salvation promised to us. It's huge. I, I like what it says here is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, right? This salvation is huge. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. But yet you can believe it. Why? Because God said so. I mean, think about this thing for just a second. We don't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. If you think you did something, or I did something, or anybody did something to deserve it or earn it, you weren't listening this morning when Randy read the scriptures to us. We're, right, It says that it's not of works lest any man should boast. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It wasn't like that God went through and said, you are really lovable. I'm going to love you. Not so much for you. It didn't happen that way. It's salvation. You think about this just for a minute. I know I've, I've Hopefully you're getting tired of hearing this. And if you're getting tired of hearing this, that means you know it and you can repeat it to somebody else. Mercy and grace. Mercy, we throw those words around, right? We know they're good Bible words and they're just good holy words and we just think it's, it's like salt and pepper on your food. If you just sprinkle a bunch more on it, it makes it better. Without stopping and thinking about what does mercy mean and what does grace mean? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Do you know what we deserve? I mean, seriously. Do you know what we deserve? We've all sinned. If you're without sin, go ahead, raise your hand. No hands, that's exactly how I thought it would be. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. No, not one. None of us seek after God. You ever thought about that before? And that's not really popular in, in our circles, but it's true because the Bible, you know how I know it's true? Because God said so, right? We, whenever we weren't even seeking after God, God sought after us. Man, that's part of Romans, and I don't hardly understand it, but that's true. That's the way that it was. I mean, you think about it for a minute. Look, I can't talk to you about your life or anybody else's. I can talk to you about mine. Do you know how many times in my life God sent somebody to me with a message? The best news that I'd ever heard, that the whole world's ever heard, the gospel. 
I can remember <laughs> I can remember at times being in church when I was little with my grandma. I don't remember a lot, but I assure you I heard the gospel then. I can remember my grandma talking to me about the Lord. I can remember fast forward several years and I can remember my, my aunt. She's actually my great aunt and she, she liked that title, right? Because she'd say, I am a great aunt. And, and she was a great aunt. And I'll tell you what made her, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now what made her the best is she's the one that God used. That's the first time I can remember somebody ever really getting serious with me. I mean, right here, down in my face. You're not misunderstanding what I'm saying. She wasn't literally in my face, but metaphorically, you know what I mean here. And shared the gospel with me and let me know, right, both sides of the coin, right? Not just some fluffy, lovey-dovey, oh, your life will be better. Sprinkle a little Jesus on it and your life will be so much better. No, if you don't repent and turn, you're going to go to hell. Try to remember, I wish I could remember exactly how old I was then. I think I was around 13 years old. Maybe 14, I don't know, somewhere right in there. 12, 13, 14. She got my attention. I didn't get saved right then. I didn't get saved for, if I was 14, I didn't get saved for another 13 years. But now, 30 years later, I still remember that night very well. I remember the words that she spoke. God used that, right, uh, over and over and over. And the Holy Spirit come along and knocking on my heart, right? In the words of my aunt, right, and, and, and sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the results was if I would continue to reject, right? And in my own mind, right, when I'm thinking about it in my own heart, I'm feeling, you know, if I reject one more time, right, I, I could very possibly, right, end up in a devil's hell, right? How could I expect to escape the wrath of God if I was to neglect such a great salvation? So great a salvation. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. All of us deserve hell. We're all sinners. We are all... There ain't nobody to stand before... None, none of us would be able to stand before God and claim innocence. None of us on that day of judgment will be able to stand before God. Can I... Let me share something. That verse where it talks about escaping... God's wrath. There's a way to escape his wrath, but there ain't no way to escape his judgment. Don't misunderstand. Judgment and wrath are two different things. God has made a way for us to escape his wrath. That's salvation. But he ain't made a way for us to escape his judgment. And all of us stand before him, and all of us stand before him guilty guilty and so anyways mercy is not getting what we deserve we're guilty we deserve to be punished for our sin the holy righteous judge has already determined what that what that punishment is now we said and sometimes some people will try to make a big deal out of you know how can a loving god send people to hell 
and they think about the, the, the fire and the, you, you know, all of those awful things about hell. But there's a couple things in that that's really not right. First of all, God ain't sending nobody to hell. Everybody's making that decision on their own. God made a way to escape His wrath. He's not winking. He's not looking the other way. We all stand before Him in judgment and we all are guilty, the entire human race. And we deserve, we don't deserve leniency. We don't deserve multiple chances. Do you know how many times, right? I didn't say that, you know, you could easily say, well, when you were really little and your parents are, you know, not your parents, but your grandma and your mom and so on and so forth, they're saying these different things to you. That's prepping you. But the first thing that you remember is whenever you're 12, 13, 14 years old with your aunt. And so that's when you've come into the age of accountability, right? And, 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 you know, it's not like I'm sitting here saying, and just as soon as I come into the age of accountability, I heard the gospel and I accepted it. No! I rejected it over and over and over. And God sent more people, put more people in my path over and over and over again. My wife didn't want to marry somebody that wasn't a Christian. So I done my best to convince her that I was and went to church with her and done all the right things. Till the next Sunday after that wedding day. And then I done everything I could to drag her backwards out of it. If I was God, I'd been done with me right then. I'd been, look, buddy, this is enough of that kind of nonsense. You're done. But you know what God did? God sent another person to me. To witness to me. To share the love of God with me. Listen. That's mercy. That's mercy. I desire... I had... I, used, I like to use the saying, thumb my nose at God. Hopefully you know what I mean by that. That's what I was doing. I wasn't taking God seriously. I didn't care anything about God. I wanted my cake and to eat it too. I wanted things my way. I didn't want to, I mean, and in my mind in that time, I, the way I thought of accepting God, I thought, man, I had to give up at least part of my Sundays. That was how little how messed up my thinking was. And I didn't even want to do that. I wasn't thinking in terms of giving my life to him, surrendering my life. My goodness, right? To, 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 to do things, to be, oh my. God sent somebody else. There's been a lot of people through my life. The next person I think of, and I'll just say his name because that's who God sent, James Lafferty. And you know what I did? 
James was, pa- or was he wasn't pastoring, he was preaching up at Fair Grove Free Will Baptist Church at that time. And I was working on an old house. James is a pretty good carpenter. And I didn't know a lot about it. I mean, I needed his help. I hadn't talked to James in a long time. I hadn't talked to James in a long time because James had gotten saved and answered his call to preach, and I just really didn't want to hear what James had to say when James was around. This crazy thing all he wanted to talk about was God and Jesus and the church, and I just wasn't interested. So I kind of, you know, separated myself. And then I needed his help. And I knew, I knew, I'm just telling you, I'm telling it all like it is. Here is, it ain't, ain't nothing I'm proud of. Ain't nothing that somebody worth anything would do or think, but it's the way I did. I knew that if I called James and asked James for his help, James would help me. And I knew that he'd just help me. I wouldn't have to pay him. I mean, it wasn't like I had money and I was just, you know, I, I couldn't afford to pay somebody. I just need some help. And I knew James would help me. I knew that I'd have to listen to him about God and about Jesus and about church and all of this stuff. And I thought, you know what? I can endure that. That's just the price that I've got to pay to get to get the help that I need. And in the midst of that, he helped me, he drove a lot and helped me a lot. And in the midst of that, he really, really, I mean, was really putting, wanting me to come to church. So much so that I got to the point, right, I me still need his help. So much so that I got to the point that I was like, I just can't tell him no. So I told him yes. And then I sent Jennifer, who'd already, who'd been wanting to go to church and was, you know, I sent her and my kids were, I don't, Jake, I guess, was one, so one and two. I sent her and the kids to church and told her to tell him, made up a lie to tell him that at the last minute, you know, something happened and I couldn't. I don't even remember what it was, you know, it was like a pipe buster type thing or whatever. That's what I did to him. But I didn't really do it to him. That's what I did to God. What I deserve. I deserve just exactly what I was begging for. Eternity in the devil's hell. You know what? I start to say a minute ago, right? So many people in the world get off on this whole, why would it, like they're trying to trap us in some sort of, is paradox the right word? Some sort of paradox or whatever that we can't answer. Why would a loving God send, you know, anybody to such an awful place as hell? Well, I told you, God don't send nobody. We choose it for ourselves. We make that choice ourselves. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about hell. I think so many people miss. What really is hell and makes hell what it is? Right? We get stuck on the descriptors as far as a, you know, a place where the flame is not quenched and the worm dieth not, a place of continuous wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and, and a place that's described of, of outer darkness and you know, just total, utter blackness like, like you can't even imagine. But actually, what, essentially what hell is, what, I like to say what makes hell, hell, 
is a total, complete absence of God. That's what makes hell hell. I mean, you think about it for just a minute. And when somebody chooses repeatedly, despite God's efforts, to go to hell, really all he's doing is giving them what they're essentially asking for. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with you, God. I am rejecting you, God. And eventually, he just lets them have what they've been wanting. An eternity without him. And, and, and people can't understand why it's like it is. Look out in this world today, and as awful as we like to talk about, and the old prophet of doom likes to preach about the condition of society and sin and all of that, but yet there's still a lot of beauty out there, and there's still a lot of good things and a lot of things to enjoy and that we take pleasure in, in every single one of those, right? Anything that is good that you're seeing in it is just a little hint of the creator that's still left there that's not been quite corrupted by sin yet that's what makes hell the complete total absence of God so mercy mercy's not giving us what we deserve grace say by grace through faith It is the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's kind of a, just flip the words around from mercy. It's getting what we do not deserve. That's grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Think about it for a minute. Think about all the splendors of heaven. Right? We like to talk about uh, those big pearly gates, right? We like to think about them golden streets and, the, and, and that crystal river that flows from the throne of God. We like to think about and imagine possibly what heaven might be like, you know, and what it's going to be like to live eternally in the presence of God. Hallelujah, glory to the Lamb of God. Listen to me. The very best of us, the person who has sacrificed their life helping others, still doesn't deserve that. But yet God freely offers it to us. That's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And grace is getting what you do not deserve. How is it? How can we possibly expect to escape? As the scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That salvation was provided to us through God's expression of his love in sending his only begotten son to pay our sin debt like I've been trying to tell you he took the punishment uh, for our sins right the only one, only one to never know sin was made sin so that we could be made in the, righteous, or the righteousness of God he took 
He paid our sin debt on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God. And having so great salvation that has been provided for us, how can we possibly expect to escape God's wrath if we continue to put it off? That's what I did. That's a better way of saying what I did. I just kept putting it off. It wasn't like I didn't believe God was real. I absolutely always believed God was real. But I just kept putting it off, right? I kept neglecting it. I kept procrastinating it. How can we possibly expect to escape the wrath of God if we let this opportunity for salvation pass by one more time? I told you a while ago, and I want to emphasize that one more time here before I move on. We know that we have a way to escape God's wrath, right? And I mentioned to you a while ago, this is what I wanted to repeat. Nobody escapes God's judgment, but everybody has a way, has a possibility to escape God's wrath. And so we know that we have a way to escape God's wrath and to experience God's great salvation for all of eternity, not just for a while, but for all of eternity, forever and ever and ever. How do we know that? Because God said so. That's how we know that. Because God said so. And let me throw one more thing at you, and I'll quit here in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen. It's talking about the coming of the Lord. It's talking about the rapture of the church, right? The catching up of the church, right? To that phrase, caught up, it literally means, the Latin phrase there is, is rapture, right? It literally means to be caught up with the Lord, right? That's what rapture is. Whenever you think that might happen, right? Some people believe that it's going to happen before the tribulation. Some believe it's going to happen partway through the tribulation. Some believe it'll happen at the end of the tribulation. Regardless of when it happens, it's going to happen. How do we know it's going to happen? Because God said so. That's how we know it's going to happen. But anyways, it is going to happen. And because of that, we know that we're going to be with the Lord forevermore. Jesus is coming one day for us. And not a single Christian, not a single believer will be left behind when he comes. And the Bible teaches us that the announcement of that will be with a shout, with the voice of the, heart of the archangel, the trump of God. And all those who are dead in Christ, and then those who are alive and are remaining in Christ, they will all be caught up together to meet him in the air. Those in the grave first, and then the rest of us right behind them. And then we have the promise that I've read to you. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We will then physically be with Jesus forever. You can count on it happening exactly that way. Do you know how? Because God said so. That's how. That's my point to you tonight. Because God said so. 
The offer of God's love. The promise of His salvation. Right? The promise of an eternal home in heaven are as sure as the response was when God spoke it in the beginning. When God spoke it in the beginning and God said, let there be light, it was so. There was light. And he goes through all of those, right, nine times, right? There is a creation uh, um, words that are spoken by God. And each time it was so, each time it happened. And so when God says something, it happens exactly as he said that it would be. And when Jesus said, God so loved the world, uh, he was... uh, he that was speaking right in that moment was the very expression of God's love. And when we read so great a salvation, it is great because it's something that we, nor as I've tried to explain tonight, nor anyone else for that matter, could ever do for ourselves. Right? You can't save yourself. You can't earn your salvation. You can't do enough good works. And when Paul offered these words of comfort to the Thessalonian believers. Some of them who'd already seen loved ones and members of their church pass away, and he told them, so shall we ever be with the Lord. He wasn't just saying something nice for them to think about. They would actually one day be again with the other believers who had already passed away. You see, God cannot lie. Whatever he says is the truth. His word on his love, on his salvation, right? The salvation that he's extending, he's offering to us on a home in heaven. They are so because God said so. And I just come here tonight, as Jennifer comes for a song of invitation, I just come here tonight to reassure you that we can place our complete confidence. Yes, even our lives, our souls, in the fact that we will not be disappointed by God. And it's so, because God said so. Would you stand to your feet? I don't know your need tonight. I don't know what is going on in your life what you might be experiencing, what you might be going through. But I want to give you an invitation to come tonight. The altar is open. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come tonight? Maybe there's somebody you need to be praying for. Come pray for them. Maybe you've got a heavy burden on your own heart. Maybe God's been dealing with you about some things. Now's a good time. This is a good place to come and talk to him about it. Whatever the need is here tonight, would you come? Would you come?